All rise. All rise. The Honorable Chief Justice and, and Associate, Associate Justices, Justices of the Supreme Court of the Court of North All Carolina. All of our citizens across the state depend upon us to uphold and protect both the spirit and the letter of the law and to always apply the law fairly and impartially to every litigant who comes before this court. God save the state and this honorable court. Welcome to All Things Judicial, a podcast from the North Carolina Judicial Branch. I'm Jennifer Haigwood, Chair of the North Carolina Human Trafficking Commission and your guest host today. January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and in this episode, we'll be featuring a specialty court in North Carolina called the Worth Court, which is a human trafficking diversion court in Cumberland County. Stay with us as we discuss human trafficking and all things judicial. Our guests today are Lindsay Lane, former Assistant District Attorney in Cumberland County, and Benji Hare, Coordinator for the Cumberland County Worth Court Program. So today we're going to start with Lindsay Lane. Until a few months ago, Ms. Lane was the main prosecutor for human trafficking cases in Cumberland County. She also served as prosecutor in the Worth Court and, along with Judge Tony King, was instrumental in the program's initial establishment. Lindsay, welcome to All Things Judicial. For our listeners, will you please define what human trafficking is? Sure. So the legal definition in North Carolina for human trafficking is where a person commits the offense of human trafficking when they knowingly or in reckless disregard of the consequences of the action recruit or entice or harbor, transport, provide or obtain by any means another person with the intent that that person be held in involuntary servitude or sexual servitude. And this is done by force, fraud or coercion. Now, practically speaking, it's where someone profits from exploiting another person. And they do that either through commercial sex, such as prostitution or forced labor. Okay. All right. Thanks for sharing that with our listeners. This is a complex crime, and it includes many situations. During your time prosecuting these cases, can you describe different scenarios that you saw? Yeah. So there are a lot of different types. Um, Specifically, North Carolina divides trafficking into two things. One, there's labor trafficking, which is involuntary servitude. And then there's commercial sex trafficking, which we call sexual servitude. And labor trafficking is when someone's forced to work. They're often forced without pay. Um, and the employer's either physically forcing them to work or coercing them by some means. Um, or they're engaged in some kind of fraud. And we see this sometimes in North Carolina in areas such as agriculture or domestic work. And it sometimes involves people that um, come from a very vulnerable population. Maybe they have a vulnerable legal status. Uh, specifically immigrants, and it might be where their visas are being held by their employer to exploit them for free labor, Um, but it also can include child labor, um, where children are being worked um, illegally and they're not being paid, etc. And then we have what's more commonly known, and that's the commercial sex trafficking industry. And that's where traffickers use force or fraud or coercion to cause another person to work in commercial sex. And this is what's most well-known. It's most often prosecuted. Um, We see this model primarily using the Internet. There are hundreds of different websites that traffickers use now to advertise their victims online, and then they solicit buyers and they negotiate 
um, these agreements with buyers. And of course, the trafficker um, takes the money that's received from those commercial sex acts. So um, those are the two main types. And then we also have this little hybrid um, type of trafficking that we're seeing. And you might have seen it in the news more recently about massage parlors. Um, and that's the illicit massage industry. And that's where victims are engaging in forced labor. Um, but they're also engaging in um, commercial sex industry. And it may be that they're working without pay or maybe their visas are being held by their trafficker. But they're also working um, in providing sexual services um, through those massage parlors. So you've seen those in the media a lot recently. Um, <clears throat> at the Human Trafficking Institute, where I am now, we actually produce an annual report that collects the data on all federal human trafficking cases that are filed in the United States. And um, by far, commercial sex trafficking um, involving prostitution is the most commonly charged year after year, and that's true to even North Carolina. Um, and this seems to be the one that's most commonly thought of when you hear the term human trafficking. Um, but both commercial sex trafficking and forced labor cases, they both involve exploiting people for money. Um, and it's usually from a very vulnerable population. Um, traffickers recognize vulnerabilities in victims. They play upon them. Um, we see this especially in young victims, such as children that are runaway status or in the foster care system. They have no family support. Um, a trafficker can see them, recognize their vulnerability, recruit them, groom them, um, and manipulate them into um, either forced labor or especially sex trafficking. Um, so this is true for victims who suffer from substance abuse problems too. We see that a lot. Um, they're just so desperate um, and bound by their addiction that they find themselves kind of in over their head uh, with a purported drug debt to their trafficker and they get bound into that lifestyle. Wow. So there are a lot of layers involved there. Um, and just as the complexities of human trafficking involved a lot of different situations like you just described, the victimization is also a complex factor. Um, something that I've learned during my time on the commission is that often people don't know they're victims or don't identify as a victim. And that leads us to our next question for you. Uh, the commission encourages best practice models when addressing this issue. And one of the best practices is not arresting victims. After what you've described, it seems evident that potential victims or people at high risk are encountering the court system. Is this what led to, or is this one of the reasons um, why we have a divergent court? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. It's shockingly, um, in my experience in dealing with victims and working with them in the past several years, um, most of them uh, did not know that they were being trafficked at the time it was taking place. And, and they told us that. I just didn't know. I couldn't see what was really going on. And it wasn't until they were removed from that situation that they realized that they were being exploited by the trafficker. Um, they either thought that they were in like a romantic relationship with the trafficker or they were just so dependent on drugs that they were blind to the fact that they were being exploited. Um, and they still have this loyalty to their trafficker. And this is a really complex area called trauma bonding that's very specifically unique in trafficking cases. <clears throat> they can't just walk away from the trafficker. Um, the holds that they have on them are very strong. Sometimes it's physical abuse. Sometimes it's the drug abuse. Sometimes we would see that it's extortion, like they threaten to have them deported on the theory of illegal status. Um, and then sometimes it would just be familial shame. They would threaten to tell their families that they'd be engaged in things like commercial sex. So um, what would often happen in these types of situations is the trafficking victim incurs criminal charges because of the trafficker. And, you know, they'll take the fall for things like drug charges or theft charges. And we saw a lot of stolen motor vehicle cases. And they, they take the brunt of these charges just to protect the trafficker. And so um, what Mr. West and I were seeing in the office in Cumberland County and the district attorney's office was that there were multiple defendants that were being charged. 
um, that had a known history of being uh, engaged in the prostitution lifestyle. And we would see that they were picking up various you know, misdemeanor charges or drug charges, theft charges. Um, they weren't being charged with specifically human trafficking because they, they were a victim in the case. Um, so it didn't trigger our state safe harbor law to try to provide them relief to that charge. Um, but there was definitely a need, and they could have used um, services and assistance from us to get them out of that lifestyle and out of that trafficking cycle and then back into society. So um, it was our general policy that we would not charge victims, um, especially in cases where we saw that it could be dangerous to them. Um, for example, if the trafficker finds out that their victim has been charged and they think that they might be cooperating with law enforcement, um, that can put them at a risk of harm. The trafficker could beat them up. Um, and then also, if the trafficker bonded them out of jail, what we were seeing is they would just rack up a debt to their trafficker, and the trafficker would then force them to try to pay off that debt by uh, working in the sex industry. So, um, and, and that's when Cumberland County said, hey, let's create a work diversion, diversion court and um, try to help these suspected victims and then persons that might be vulnerable to trafficking. Well, we're going to hear more detail about the court next, and um, I feel like you just answered this question perfectly, but from your experience, do you believe that this mod- this is a model worthy of replication in other North Carolina courts? Oh, absolutely. Um, the work court is such an amazing gap filler for cases that would ordinarily just go undetected or they would slip through the cracks. Um, you know, it's had a twofold effect, too. Um, one is we're serving the victim. Um, we're, we're preventing, hopefully, potential victims from being pulled into a trafficking ring also. Um, by providing them services and kind of meeting them where they are and, and giving them an avenue to get out of that lifestyle. Um, we will offer them services, and if they're interested, they can help themselves break free from that cycle. Um, and if not, that's okay, too. Um, but what we also saw is that when we were building up and creating a healthy victim, we were also increasing our success rate in prosecution because it makes sense that a healthy victim is going to be in a much better position to testify at trial and confront her her trafficker. Um, and so by serving that victim, we were actually seeing more success in busting the trafficker, and we were just saving you know, exponential lives um, by doing that. That's fantastic, and I'm so glad to hear more about that. Um, another thing that I've learned in my time on the commission, and that as you know, many people feel like human trafficking is a big city crime, and I mean that big city in quotes. Uh, if another county is interested in such a program, how many referrals justify starting a program like this? So anyone who's worked in this um, industry knows um, that human trafficking happens everywhere. It is no respecter of big cities or small cities. It happens in those communities, um, one and alike. We know from the cases that have just been charged in Cumberland County that victims are often transported from place to place. And depending on where that demand is, the trafficker will take them um, to wherever he can make the most money. Um, a diversion court is beneficial in any jurisdiction. Um, I promise that it is going on even if it's not immediately recognized. Um, but it is especially important for our more metropolitan areas. Um, in those areas where you see the most human trafficking charges being charged, it kind of makes sense that they're obviously going to be more victims um, that could utilize these services. What stakeholders are necessary to support a program like this? Um, no one person can do this alone. And you can ask Judge King from Cumberland County or Mr. Billy West, who's the elected district attorney in Cumberland County, or even our public defender that um, 
any of the members on our, our wonderful team there in Cumberland County will tell you, it takes a village um, to develop a court like this and more importantly, to make it successful. Um, but watching the changes that we have um, affected in the lives of the participants that have already been through the program um, is absolutely worth it. It definitely takes the buy-in from, from everyone, from your district attorney to your public defender to your court system, your judges, your, your court personnel who are keeping their eye open for these types of cases um, as they come through even the clerk's office um, and, then, and then encouraging these participants through the court program. Now, personally, as a prosecutor, it took our office through Mr. West kind of recognizing that a victim-centered approach is important and it's necessary not just for the well-being of that victim, but for the successful prosecution of the traffickers. And, and the worst court just definitely helped us do that. Well, it certainly sounded like Cumberland County had all the right stakeholders in place to support that. Um, Lindsay, thank you so much for taking time with us today um, to, to discuss these issues. Is there anything else you'd like for our listeners to know? Um, just If anyone is interested in starting a diversion court program in your community, please reach out to the commission or even directly to the worst court. Um, it's such an invaluable resource, and, and each city should really be looking forward into how you're combating human trafficking and, and being mindful that you're doing it from a victim center. Absolutely. Again, thank you, Lindsay, for your time here today. Thank you. Our next guest today is Benji Hare. Benji is the coordinator of the Worth Court, which is our state's first human trafficking diversion court organized in 2019. He organizes the court's advisory council activities comprised of organizations that help both clients and staff. Benji, welcome to All Things Judicial. Thank you. Benji, tell our listeners, what is the Worth Court, um, its description and purpose? Worth Court is a diversion court um, set up to manage human trafficking survivor cases by providing supportive care and intervention services. Um, we're a little over two years old and have had 35 referrals, 15 uh, dismissal, dismissals out of those referrals. We've had 10 graduates and currently have 10 active participants. We're based in Cumlin County and we are a little bit different from other diversion courts such as drug courts and veterans courts in that we um, don't meet as frequently as other courts do. And we have uh, outside uh, resources within the community that provide a lot of the supportive services for our participants. Okay, well, can you tell us who does the court see and how do those people get there? Referrals to Worth Court primarily come from the district attorney's office and the public defender's office. We do get some referrals from private attorneys. It's basically um, a system whereby individuals appear in court, um, uh, either superior court or district court, and they're recognized as having been a, uh, I'll use the term victim of human trafficking, and they have charges against them for an offense of some nature. Um, and it's recognized that they uh, could benefit from some type of supportive care activity and that they actually, as a victim, um, have uh, not perpetuated a crime, but they have been charged with a crime and they're in court um, seeking some type of relief. So as a, a defendant, 
with having been charged, they basically uh, are eligible to come to one of the diversion courts. And as uh, an associate of a service, uh, we can provide them uh, with a refer. They can be referred to us, and we can provide them the services of Worth Court. Um, the participant agrees, in in fact, to come to Worth Court, and we staff that individual during our staffing sessions each month. And the district attorney's office agrees that that uh, individual's charges will be um, held back until they have completed Worth Court. And then at the end of Worth Court, those charges will be uh, di uh, dismissed. The individual will participate in Worth Court for a period of 12 to 18 months. All right. You touched just a minute ago on um, services that are offered by the court. In thinking about those services, what what are the most common needed for participants or what type of services are offered to the participants? All of our participants are involved in case management services. And these are case management services that we have designed specifically for a human trafficking survivor. Um, the case management is tailored so that the individual can uh, comply with a care plan, which is a core component of any case management service. There is an assessment done uh, after an intake. That assessment will help determine what the immediate pending needs are of the individual, what might be the long-term needs throughout the 12 to 18-month process uh, while they're uh, involved with Worth Court, and what might be some of their needs post uh, their uh, uh, participation in Worth Court. So there is case management. The services that are uh, determined through the assessment, such as housing, transportation, any medical services, substance abuse, supportive care services, and mental health services, uh, would be uh, set up by the case management entity. Those services that I just mentioned are services that we have been able to obtained by establishing memorandum of agreements with local community providers that we have identified through our um, council members that had relationships. And that's one of the values in setting up the council in the beginning is, is that we connected out into the community to people that were willing to work with us, whether we had a dollar to pay them or not, they were willing to support Worth Court and what we stood for and what our needs were for our participants. Absolutely. Those partnerships are crucial. Um, diversion programs have been used for a long time as alternatives to incarceration. And you talked about this a few minutes ago, but can you go into a little bit more depth about what's different about this program as compared to other diversion court models? Well, I know with other courts, they have uh, diversion courts, they have um, more frequent interaction with the individual in the court setting. And one of the things that we find with human trafficking survivors, they don't, uh, they don't need to be re-traumatized. They've been through a lot of trauma, trauma, and sometimes it's been for a lengthy period of time. So what we did in the beginning, and this is through uh, insight of Judge King, is we have them come into court every two months. Uh, we operate an, a juvenile court one month, and in the next month there's an adult court. Um, so the individual comes in every two months. In the interim period, they are working with their case management provider, and we get weekly 
updates on their progress, their attendance to case management and group sessions, and then we get a monthly cumulative report on their um, total activities. And so we are able to keep in touch with what's going on with them, but we, as, as a different type of court, are not having them to appear in court and profess to what their progress is in, in person. And we are hoping that that doesn't uh, create any, any heavy stress. A lot of times the stress of just appearing in the courtroom itself um, is stressful to an individual. And um, we're trying to actually make that transition for them, help them make the transition from being in a stressful environment and whatever kind of service they receive to one that's a little bit more relaxed and showing a bit of caring for them so they can overcome some of what they've endured. Well, North Carolina is incredibly fortunate to have a program like this, and the Human Trafficking Commission is so glad to have this program as part of the state. If others want to explore this option in their county, are there a few key points of major significance they should know? Well, we've been in existence for a little over two years. Uh, Beginning of 2019, the program was conceptualized and put in practice. We became active in uh, the fall of 2019. So for a little over two years, we've actually been providing direct services. And since that time, Um, We have been tracking what have been our successes and our challenges to put this type of court in place. Um, We're a little bit different creature, as we've noted, and with that, we've had to um, adjust the court system to uh, our needs, and we've had to um, adjust what we wanted to do to what the court system has done for a long time, and so we've all had to do a little bit of give and take. And in doing so, we've had, we've noted what we felt like were the best practices. And through that process, I came up with an outline of best practices with 12 different categories of how to put this type of court together, um, taking into account the administrative component, the judicial component, um, the sustainability of this type of program, Um, the strategic planning piece that would need to go in place, taking into account what kind of services that we needed to have in place and where we always had to have a uh, reduction of trauma uh, concept for those services. And so we came up with, out of the 12, um, four key areas out of the 12 that we saw as something that any kind of court would need to look at in the beginning um, for starting up a new worth court kind of concept. One of those is how to integrate that court into the existing court system um, and with with as little stress as possible, I I might mention. Um, And then the the next one would be the administrative oversight. How are you going to place the administrative function? One of that, one of those areas would be if you're awarded money and how you obtain money, how are, where are those funds going to be placed? Because more than likely this, this court is not a 501c nonprofit. So somebody has to manage the funds. Um, how are you, the third area would be operations and programmatic development. How are you going to account for, um, your operations and how are you going to look at the development of the court as it, as it's 
growing and as it's going about its business, um, the old concept of build it and they shall come sometimes happens uh, right away. We had a lot of referrals in the beginning and we were like, okay, we need to figure out how we're going to manage this. And then the fourth area is collecting data. Um, I started right away setting up my own system for collecting data and uh, beginning to report out that data so that we had something to show for what we were doing. Um, a year in, a little over a year into the process, I realized there were some key data elements that I was not collecting that I did need to report out so that we would know a little bit more about the work we were doing and be able to tell others about it. So December of last year, I changed my whole system and went back and input all the old data in and added to it the new data I needed because I had it in my file. So that's a little bit about what we have. We have best practices that we could share with any other judicial district in the state that would be looking at implementing a similar type court. We would be willing to share that. Well, it certainly sounds like you all have done quite a bit of work and have really laid the groundwork for any other um, counties that are interested in, in pursuing this in the future. Um, one thing I kind of want to go backwards a little bit on is, is WORTH is actually an acronym. And for our listeners today, um, I want to share that WORTH stands for We Overcome Recidivism Through Healing. Why did the planning group choose to use that name? Well, Judge Tony King came up with the, the name, and she's the author of it. And uh, WORTH uh, stands for We Overcome Recidivism Through Healing. Uh, it reflects the we, meaning that we're a team, and we like to think of ourselves as a team, and that we uh, constantly are striving to overcome recidivism, which is so much a part of the lives of the people that we are working for and with in this court. And we do this through healing, that the individuals have got to heal in, in uh, a constant uh, effort, and they've got to heal through many different methods. Um, and it may be physical healing, it may be mental healing, it may be um, that they have to totally take what they see as themselves and reinvent themselves. And so WORTH also, in, as a term, stands for that the person has recognized their value. And so this is, I think, a very appropriate term for individuals who are survivors. And it has proven um, very appealing to others as they, they see the term. It's not offensive. Um, and it's not something that people, people feel like that they don't feel comfortable with. So um, Worth Court has, um, I think, done a good day's work in our community. And we are, are, as a team, striving to overcome this recidivism because we see that so much in every one of the individuals that we've worked with is that they have every day a struggle to overcome it. One of the things I can say about the 10 individuals that we have had as graduates to date, none of them have lapsed back. And... Um, I'm very proud of that. That's one of the things I'm most proud of with this program is that we have worked with them very intensely. And one of the, the, the points I will make about 
our case management effort. And this, this term worth is that when an individual completes the program and graduates, the services, the supportive care services are still in place for them. They don't go away. Those, those services are still there for them for however long they feel they may need them to keep themselves growing and healing to uh, make themselves well. I think that definitely is quite an accomplishment, and I would certainly agree that worth is an appropriate name for this court. And I appreciate you sharing with our listeners the the background on all of that. Benji, thank you so much for taking time with us today. Is there anything else you'd like listeners to know? No, I just would say that this has been a real opportunity. Um, I think that, um, as I said, we we feel often we reinvent ourselves and we relook at our, our practices and, and sometimes we, we take our best practice and make it a better practice. Um, and we are most willing to share with other judicial districts what our experience has been, and we're willing to help mentor them uh, to entertain the idea and implement a, a Worth Court program. Wonderful. Thank you, Benji. We've certainly heard today that courts play a major role in identifying and addressing human trafficking. If you believe you are a victim or know a victim, there is help available. Call 1-888-373-7888 or text BEFREE. I hope you found our show to be informative and encouraging. Human trafficking is a crime that involves all disciplines, communities, and systems. Today, we've talked about one way to make a difference, but we can all make a difference in preventing and ending this horrific crime. For more information about this court or other human trafficking programs, please search the North Carolina Human Trafficking Commission to find our website and contact information. I'd like to thank our guests today and thank everyone who made this episode possible. This podcast is a production of the North Carolina Judicial Branch Communications Office. I'm Jennifer Hagwood, Chair of the North Carolina Human Trafficking Commission, and I'm reminding you to keep all things judicial. Thanks for listening.